0: This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends.
1: And here's your host, Rashan Senanayake. What's up, listeners? Today's episode is an exciting one and one of my favorite topics, design thinking. But this episode has an international twist straight from Stanford D.School. Joining me today is the head of learning collaborations for Stanford University's D School, Ariel Raz. Ariel designs learning experiences that inspire educators to engage in creative work as well as being a current lecturer at the School of Engineering. In the past, he has worn a number of hats within the education sector, from a college tutor to Teach for America classrooms to school founder at Kip Bloom, a middle school in the Chicago Southside. Ariel holds a bachelor in film and rhetorics from UC Berkeley and a master's in learning design and technology from Stanford University. So, without further ado, let's get straight into it. Welcome to Inspiring Design. And we're going to kick off straight into your story. Uh, this is one of the most exciting topics for myself, design thinking being one of my favorite contexts. I want to get to those details. But first, I want the listeners to understand where you come from. So, what's been your story today? What's your background?
0: Oh yeah, I'd uh, be happy to chat about that and thanks for allowing me on your podcast it's an honor to get to connect with your uh, educators from Australia. So I came into education through um, hobbling together a number of experiences that when I look back at it, I realized had a trajectory but at the time was very much uh, looking for the next experience that felt meaningful and engaging. So throughout university, I was uh, a tutor. And then when I graduated from, uh, from UC Berkeley, uh, it was the recession over here. So 2009, so Barack Obama had just been elected president. The economy was in shambles and there was a spirit of uh, renewal in the air and, and social service as well. So I did a program called Teach for America, um, which sent me to teach middle school special education mathematics. In uh, Greater New Orleans, in Louisiana, I taught just outside of the city of New Orleans in a place called Saint Bernard Parish. Mm-hmm. And while I was teaching there, I uh, I discovered that the way that I had taught math did not serve the students that I was teaching math. Uh, mm. I always caught on to mathematical concepts um, relatively quickly and really enjoyed math as a kid. And I realized that uh, I had to unlearn how I learned in order to teach students effectively. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what that looked like was I created a game-based pedagogy. Oh, wow. uh, there are there are a number of like applications of games to education. One of them is the principles of gamification being levels, right? That mm-hmm. help motivate you. You get a skill um, acquired that allows you to advance to the next level, next level, and so on. Yeah. And you're competing against other people in order to have a leaderboard and things like this. So those weren't exactly the gamification elements that I used. I used um, more, what I tried to create was that the gameplay, how you actually interacted with a game um, was aligned to a conceptual understanding in the field of mathematics. Mm-hmm. So for example, you could think of fractions if you're kind of breaking something apart into to smaller pieces, breaking mm-hmm. a hole into smaller pieces, mm-hmm. and then naming the different sizes. That's very similar to what you do conceptually in fractions. Mm-hmm. Later on, I learned there's a theoretical underpinning to a lot of these called PFL, preparation for future learning. Mm-hmm. The basic idea there is that uh, we sometimes get things backwards when we say students will be able to, and we um, lead with the goal Mm -hmm. of a math lesson you can actually impart a concept before you introduce the language or the symbology of it yeah and then you teach the symbology and how how it's communicated say in numbers or representation with with letters if it's algebra later on
1: and how old were these students that you were working with
0: so they're in middle school so that would be uh 11 12 13 yeah um Anyway, so so this, what does this have to do with design thinking, which is what I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some ways, not a lot, and in some ways, everything. I mean, this was the beginning of creative approaches to pedagogy that could actually transform results for students, mm-hmm. and that's been the real uh, thread in my career up to now. Um, once I I finished up my two years in New Orleans, I helped open up a charter school in Chicago. Um, and then I came to graduate school at Stanford, where I discovered design thinking, I actually, um, I was so focused in mathematics education, I didn't have um, as broad of a knowledge base about other types of education innovation that were happening, mm-hmm. uh, just so happened to be accepted into Stanford, fortunately for me. Uh, and then I, my first course, it took a summer school course, that was one week before the term started. Where I uh, I took a course called Design Your Life, which is applying design thinking methodologies to how you think about your career, Absolutely. and your trajectory. Uh, they have a great book, uh, Dave Evans and Bill Burnett, called Design Your Life, which has the lessons from the course. That I recommend as a resource. Um, and then, uh, well, I'll speed up. I got an internship at the D School. I sort of started by helping uh, the facilitators clean up after workshops and do things like that, and then. I got another internship and started teaching classes, and then eventually they offered me a job about uh, seven years ago, and uh, I've been there ever since.
1: And what's your um, current
0: role at uh, at Stanford? So currently, um, I work as head of learning collaborations for the K-12 lab. That's the part of the d-school that faces out to education, K-12 uh, education, of course. And the lab part is interesting. I mean, what we try and do is launch experiments for New initiatives in education, uh, an opportunity that has not yet been seized upon, a resource that we uh, believe need to exist or a professional learning experience that might bring in, uh, say, a new technology or a new concept really at the ready for educators. So it um, it's, an, it's a very privileged position to be able to try and look ahead and say, hey, what do we need as um, an education ecosystem? Mm-hmm. And then to c- try and create that very thing.
1: I love it. It's actually it's really interesting because you see a lot of things about design thinking being a transferable skill set and you're you're literally living and breathing that as an example, given that you yeah. came from not a design background at all. So I love that. Um so before we get into the details of the topic today, um give us a little bit of context about Stanford and Dschool for those who aren't who might not be familiar with it. Um what's obviously Stanford's one of the leading universities on a global scale. Um, where does d school fit into that and um and what relevant details would educators like to know sure so first of all the d in d school stands for design
0: yeah um the idea being you know design thinking as a creative uh, pedagogy that can be taught and as a process that can be applied so um you know uh, there's the the phrase Success has many parents, but failure is an orphan. Mm -hmm. There's no official uh, parent to design thinking because many different actors uh, were uh, implementing some of those strategies really in the 60s and 70s, applying Mm -hmm. particularly uh, creative methodologies to product design. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to look at individuals who are creative and say, like, how do they do the work that they do? What are the strategies for creativity? How might we codify them? And then, uh, this didn't start at the university; it started in product design firms. So, uh, perhaps the most prominent one is called IDEO. I D E O. Yep. Uh, still around, has offices throughout the world, and they um, there's a great video about them. Uh, if you Google shopping cart, Ido, mm-hmm. it's kind of an old school uh, video from like '90s TV. But mm-hmm. they do a really good job showing how these people um, who worked at IDEO, these designers, they weren't experts in designing um, X, Y, or Z, a table, a computer, a water bottle, a toy. They were experts in the process of designing. Yeah, and they knew how to apply that effectively to uh, create great products. And so um, eventually what happened is the founder, uh, David Kelly, was working at uh, Stanford as well Mm -hmm. um, in the School of Engineering. And he um, was invited to create this institute, which became the D School. And then over time, it went from a program, I'll say, that was more peripheral to the university to one where we saw a lot more students coming in. And one of the things that was unique about the D school and uh, is core to the process of design thinking is the idea of radical collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, uh, their designers at, at the firms might come from medicine and engineering and psychology, uh, computer science. They're on the same project team, and they bring their different specialties to bear when they're trying to, say, uh, you know, design uh, a new microphone for Zoom or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Stanford, we would pull from all of the different departments or as many different departments as we could really um, get, and they would often be in the same class, sometimes on the same project team. So you can imagine if you are trying to create a um, a better hospital uh, intake system for an emergency room, and you have a psychologist, a computer scientist, an engineer and a physician on the team, the breadth of ideas, the inputs for inspiration is really wide and you can really generate a ton of ideas. So that's really one of the tenets of uh, design thinking. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of other process steps that help make it a powerful methodology for for creative problem solving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And jumping ahead, because you've kind of touched on it as a a concept, what is, do, do you have an official definition in that you would like to share for design thinking for someone who might just ask they're new to it they've never heard of it what is design thinking I, so I, I think i think we only have unofficial definitions not official
0: definitions fair enough but <laughs> the the four word definition that i use when i'm trying to explain this to uh, my mom or her friends who are are struggling to understand what it is that i do as mm-hmm. i say it, it's a creative process that we use to make something that matters love it so there's a emphasis on making things making (laughs) physical prototypes that are testable and tangible and can go out in the real world
1: and usually specific towards a particular type of user
0: sure yeah and that's how you figure out the second part what matters right you want to study the person you're designing for Mm -hmm. understand their needs their aspirations their challenges and so you can be sure that in the making of the thing, it actually fits the context and the needs of the person who's going to use it.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Love it. So you mentioned that um, this is a concept that's been around since the 60s and the 70s. What did it used to look like? And have you seen and noticed in its evolution to today's modern age?
0: So I, I in my time, there have been, I think, a number of changes. Mm-hmm. I'm not as I, I wasn't around in the 60s and the 70s, yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and I, I haven't studied the period very closely, so I'm not okay. uh, as much in a position to say how it's changed since its inception. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly the transition from being a process that was applied mostly in the product design space to something that was taught—we needed to codify design thinking and and create instructional materials around it that could be replicable. So that certainly happened earlier on. Uh, What I've seen in my time as the application of design thinking to um, from looking at products and services to then thinking about experiences, Mm -hmm. uh, looking a layer above, you might say, to designing for systems. Mm -hmm. And now I think what you're seeing is the change of uh, technology that's available and the power of some of that technology is so so potent yeah. that designing becomes a needed skill, but a more challenging skill. So if you take something like an algorithm, mm-hmm. right? Like those really define a, a lot of the behaviors mm-hmm. um, that for how we engage in the digital world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But how do you design an algorithm, right? It's There's a very high technical know-how that's required. So So part of what we do as an institution of learning mm-hmm. is to create, ways where um, that a high schooler might be able to see an algorithm as a design tool where we strip Mm -hmm. away some of the technical Mm know-how, but we still communicate the concept of it. Uh, My colleague, Carissa Carter, has a great quote about this, which is, you don't need to know the code in order to understand what the code can do. Mm -hmm. So we put our emphasis there. What can the code do, and how can you shape different aspects of the code? Really letting um, young people mold that and then that may catalyze an interest in designing algorithms and jumping into more of the technical aspects of it. But yeah. starting with the concept rather than the um, the code or the technology is. Of course, is, and that's where there, are, I think
1: you would collaborate with the technical experts if you're not the technical expert and, and bring in the right different types of people. But it still comes back down to that original concept of getting the product or whatever the thing that matters right before you actually start building it or or actually putting it in front. So that, that makes perfect sense. Now there are usually in, in Australia, there are a number of key values of design thinking that we usually discuss from an education perspective. Um, The three that always, always comes to the forefront is empathy, um, collaboration, and experimentation. What are your thoughts on it? And do you see other ones or is it a stemming of this considering you're on the other side of the world?
0: <laughs> you know, There are a number of different ways that we see design thinking codified, explained and communicated. Mm-hmm. And they all have different benefits and disadvantages or detriments. Mm-hmm. I'm not particularly attached to one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think empathy is a core design thinking skill. Like you being able to understand um the person you're designing for uh, with their context in mind so it's not just your idea of them but really understanding what it's like to be who they are and the context that they live in the set of relationships and associations they have that is core and that's really where the innovation flows from is having it having that um human value collaboration also incredibly important right how do you work with different people Mm -hmm. how do you bring their perspectives um to the table and how do you encourage their participation through psychological safety so they feel like they can take risks and put forth silly ideas and wild ideas because that's where a lot of uh the right material comes from as well
1: and i think there's a component of empathy just in the collaborative component
0: i agree yeah you want you want to empathize with the your colleagues as you're collaborating with them, and then then the experimentation part of it is it also relates to collaboration and psychological safety for you to be able to say, um, okay, let's. I'm not sure this is going to work, but let's try it. Let's see what happens. Hey, it might fail, but we will have learned something from this failure, um, and it can drive our work forward, right? So not feeling attached, even in the language that we use, not not uh, gearing up for success per se, but gearing, uh, orienting ourselves towards experiments that have a lot of learning value, I think is really powerful. Mm. I think the, the one thing I would add to whatever framework you have for design thinking, mm-hmm. it's important to know that it's not a recipe that's meant to be uh, repeated in the yeah. same sequence over and over again. Absolutely. These are cre- these are creative strategies. And a creative strategy might be well suited to one particular moment in a context. And another time you might wanna deploy a different creative strategy. So uh, oftentimes you'll see people use a nice graphic, And it works well as an orienting framework. But after that, you really want to have different access points to the creative process. That's what happens as folks get more advanced.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a very important component in design thinking. It's seen as an approach rather than a model or a method that you have to follow exactly as it is. This is something that we constantly talk with our teachers in our workshops. So this is music to my ears. So I'm I'm loving what you're putting down. And if there's been a lot of context with, um, especially on this end of the world about um, design thinking and its connection with creative problem solving and critical thinking, they are seen as the key and core skill sets for, if I'm quoting, I think a LinkedIn uh, report, 85% of the jobs in 2030 will need design thinking. So this notion of looking into the future of what future of work and future of education looks like. How do you see design thinking as a skill set moving forward?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um design thinking helps students today become more, i'll say, um, able to navigate an ambiguous future by uh, on by giving them strategies for solving problems and finding problems. So one thing that I I think can be especially challenging for some types of students who are successful in traditional school is that they're given problems to to solve. You know, there are certain strategies and algorithms, whether it's in humanities or in math that they can use right structures like a five paragraph essay Mm -hmm. um, uh, strategies for solving an equation, and then they apply they apply they apply and they can succeed. Well very few jobs out in the real world are defined problems to be solved. There are jobs like that, but I think they're becoming rare. Mm -hmm. What you see um, as being especially helpful is being able to articulate problems that need to be solved. And design thinking is, um, I think, a very clear set of strategies where you can start with something tangible. Hey, I'm designing for this person, but you don't know what that person needs. And so you go out and look, you observe, you really develop that capacity to notice. And then from all of that uh, data set, from that empathy research data set, you can start to synthesize it and say, hey, I think this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity space. This might be a problem space. Why don't we investigate this further? And then you can bring to bear strategies for problem solving, ideation, prototyping, testing, things like this. So. I see that as being a pretty agile skill set that can be applied to um, to the workplace, to the future workplace. Now, it's it's particularly well suited to human centered problems. Not all problems are necessarily human centered. If I'm going to go and ask you to uh, design a better engine for a plane, that's a technical problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. a human centered problem. Yeah. But as you're working on that, you might be collaborating with a lot of different people and you may need to uh, generate out-of-the-box ideas. That's where problem-solving strategies from design thinking can be really helpful. Hey, how do we ideate? How do we learn from analogies? Hey, how do we bring in outside voices to this conversation and really go beyond what seems like a obvious scope, really go for ideas, um, to use the phrase out-of-the-box. So because it's the a collection of different strategies um perhaps the entire collection can serve some professions really well uh but certainly some of the strategies are going to be able to translate to a wide variety of jobs
1: absolutely and i think what if i'm hearing you right as well it imparts a level of professional resilience almost for their career adoption or ability to move into different sectors if needed. And, and I think that's where uh, the frame of mind for this needs to be seen, for especially jobs that don't exist right now, that haven't been yeah. defined. We don't know what the world is going to be like by 2030 or even, even 2025 for that matter sometimes. So it's, I think, adopting, like you said, those multiple strategies and then applying it to the context that they're the frame of reference that they're coming from. So I love that. That's, that's great. Now, if we were to take this through the points of view of the educator who has to show these strategies and, and actually teach these strategies in the classroom, what's your relation, What how do you see the relationship between design thinking and if you're an educator, regardless of the subject area? So
0: I think design thinking, when you bring it into the classroom, it, it presents a unique problem mm-hmm. to an educator. An exciting problem uh in my opinion Mm -hmm. which is that most if not all educators uh, did not grow up taking a design thinking class absolutely so there's not that same model of okay well let me take what i know from a secondary school and modernize it for my current students it's Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to do It's it's possible now that design thinking has proliferated, Mm -hmm. the younger batch of students have had some courses at university, but again, still fairly rare. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest recommendations that I make is that in order to teach design, you need to do design.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and so aim to find opportunities where you can innovate at your school. So that might mean, you know, looking around at your school site and, uh, seeing if there are any challenges around space, right? Is there uh, some point of congestion? Mm. Is there a furniture need that isn't met? Is there a particular student that has a hard time navigating the school that we might want to uh, design a new product for? All of those things are ripe opportunities where you can start notice. There's a challenge that uh, we've ran in the past um, called the shadow of student challenge, where we ask a school leader to take a day where they clear their schedule and they have an empathy experience. Mm -hmm. They just shadow a student for the entire day, not to assess teachers, not to assess students, just to be able to understand. Yeah, empathize, understand what's it like to be a student at my school. And then guess what? When you're making decisions about lunch and schedule and new uh, classes that you might want to teach, new content areas, all of those observations come up. And then you can then you can design with that context um, and that those users more
1: effectively in mind. So just on that, if like I think whenever, especially in the current day and age, whenever people are presented with that initial sentence you said of you know clear the schedule, I think that's where a lot of people struggle with. What do you? That's what they stop. Yeah. (laughs) Because they so uh, every, you know we're busy, we've got thousand things going on, especially in a school. There are so many different faculties and you know tasks that are required. What's your recommendations or advice to the clearing of a schedule to dedicate that time to actually create empathy?
0: Well, look, on some level, you have if in order to do it, you have to do it. Yeah, and if we want our students to learn according to certain values, we also need to live those values. So I was reading a book uh, the other day called The Power of Pull, and they had a great turn of phrase from an institution of learning to a learning institution. And Mm -hmm. in order to be a a design thinker, you need to model your values for your students. It's not going to land well uh, or effectively at all for you to tell your students they need to start learning and behaving in a new way, and they don't see you acting under those same values. And Absolutely. so f- finding those moments where you can really capitalize on something like this and say, hey, I'm doing it. Ultimately, it's one day out of the school year. I don't, it doesn't matter how busy you are, how loaded your schedule is, mm-hmm. you can take one day. And, and the advantage is you get an incredible return on that day because you are able to be a more effective school designer.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think that's their frame of reference that if you if you're coming from a there will be an immense roi on this time spent um all of a sudden the it's not going to be seen as a burden it's going to be seen as an incredible value towards the school environment especially from a leadership or an educator's perspective so perfect perfect now sorry i did interrupt you when you were talking about the design thinking relationship with an educator and how you were in the middle of i think explaining um looking around the context of problem solving within the school and and leading by example. Were there anything else? Was there anything else that you wanted to share on that? So the other thing that I would say
0: is if you're going to be a, a design educator, so modeling your behavior, as I was saying, it's incredibly important for you to be able to not just show your students, but also be deferential mm-hmm. to the fact that you're going to be learning along the way. Um, one recommendation I often make is to start small. Uh, there's a tendency when launching a new initiative to move to something particularly high stakes. Well, if you're going to be experimental and you run the risk of failing uh, because on purpose, because you're being experimental, it's going to feel quite costly if it's a high stakes failure. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be honest to that process and say, okay, let me scope this in a way where I can work safely. And there's not too much uh, emotional energy or institutional weight behind this initiative. I can both focus on my own learning and uh, be able to share back with my community. Hey, this is what works. This is what does not you know, it's, in, to use a, a a baseball analogy from the United States, no one's going to bat 100 mm-hmm. when you are becoming a designer. What we're trying to do is increase the batting average so that you are more successful over time. But part of what uh, engineers the success is this fail forward mentality. Well, the first word is fail, right? Fail Love forward. It. Yeah. And it drives learning. Um, the other thing that I would say, and it is related to that, is sometimes we are given design thinking challenges, which aren't actually well-suited to design. Mm -hmm. Like you might have a school leader uh, come in and say, hey, uh, can you do a design challenge around this new furniture that we've purchased? Mm -hmm. Well, if you've already purchased the furniture, there's not much of a design space there. We've yeah. already decided this is the furniture we need. Okay, so we can arrange in particular ways. That's a very, fairly narrow problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so part a, a, an important skill to develop is, how do I identify the right challenge? Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge where empathy research, right? Human-centered insights about mm-hmm. behavior and what governs or informs or affects human behavior is going to be non-obvious and is going to yield results. Those are the challenges that you want to look for.
1: Absolutely, and I think uh, one of the advices that we always work with the teachers that we um, train is constantly taking it back to good design principles that are se- usually centered around either um, the SDG goals, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So you're coming from a frame of reference of maybe. It's the conservation of water, or um, hunger, or you know something that's very close and near to human, so that it is abroad. It is it, it is uncomfortable. It can be very big, but there are narrower problems if they wanted to scope it down. So the scalability is also there, and um, but I'm loving what you're hearing, and because that's I think their key component of being able to suit the design challenge as an educator. That's another skill set for them. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Now. What's your advice for, say, Australian schools in the adoption of design thinking towards their pedagogies? Do you, what's your, if you have to speak to every every principal in Australia, what's your message to them?
0: <laughs> to, well, that's quite an opportunity. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, in terms of implementing design thinking, you, you know, I, I would say, Start with your students, start with the students that you're designing for. Mm-hmm. Uh, it the, Oftentimes the voices that are loudest in the education um, concern, in the ecosystem, in the design are the voices of adults. And so I'm always a huge fan of bringing in student voices into the process wherever possible so we can design for them. I mean, that's what schools are meant to do. Uh, the shadow a student challenge that i mentioned earlier i think a part of the power there is to say hey like who is the experience for in a school it's for mm-hmm. the student mm-hmm. let's understand that experience more effectively and that's where you can really make a match of things so to give a more recent example a very current example chat gpt mm-hmm. right everyone is you know on my linkedin i have every yeah. other post is about <laughs> chat gpt um uh which is interesting there there's a there's a great quote um from the institute of the future we tend to underestimate overestimate the impact of technology in the sh- short term and mm-hmm. underestimate in the long term and that's my prediction for chat gpt is we're overestimating it right now and then it's going to quiet down go away and then 5 10 years it's going to be so impactful mm-hmm. that we we won't know how we got along before it, you know much like the iphone mhm mm-hmm. The thing that's missing in all of the posts that I see on LinkedIn is how are students actually using this? Mm -hmm. What do they think of the relationship of learning to AI? Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are going to be living in this world, they're going to be designing with this technology. They're going to have to be able to exercise their intellect to, you know, if we think the uh, algorithmic effects of social media are bad. Now, mm. what's that going to look like when a you know my daughter who's eighteen months old when she's eighteen years old? Yeah. So I I, I think capturing that student voice and and making them a stakeholder with um with power mm-hmm. is is a place that I would start.
1: Love it, love it. And speaking of Chat GPT, it it prompted her thought in my head of technologies, it's it's obviously a very front and center topic as well in schools or even in industry, pretty much everywhere we go now. Um, There are a lot of different technologies actually playing a role within schools. There's VR, there's AR, there's AI components now obviously being integrated. Um, There is a data concern from different countries that based on where you're at, cybersecurity issues. What's your thoughts on how design thinking plays a role with technology?
0: The clearest connection between design thinking and technology is that it asks the question, who is this technology for? Mm-hmm. That's at the most basic level is the element of user research in order to inform um, how to make that fit between technology and person more effective. I think beyond that, there are a much wider circle of concern and an important circle of concern where we bring in ethics, You know, we extend empathy to be saying, okay, at scale, how is this gonna affect people? Is this good? So, So not just, hey, how do we make this in the way that's most suited to the user or most suited to our aims based on what we know about the user, which mm-hmm. I think is more of a transactional relationship mm-hmm. to a questioning of, hey, is this worth making? You know, why and how can we create um, features that may soften some of the more pernicious effects? The, um, I, you know, I'm there's talk in the United States now of banning TikTok. Mm-hmm. And what I find most interesting about this conversation is if you look up the, Chinese equivalent of TikTok that they make mm-hmm. there, there are severe restrictions. You're mm-hmm. not, uh, if you're under 14 years old, you cannot use it between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. The app is just shut down. Mm-hmm. And then you're, I believe you're not allowed to use it or you're not able to use it for more than 40 minutes per day. Yeah. So we there are these incredibly strong restrictions. We don't have those same restrictions in the Western world. And I think that the there's an important level of design thinking um, looking at a systems level mm. and being able to say, hey, um, this might be a uh, compelling use for a user, but does it have damaging effects? What does this do to social life? What does it do to social behavior? And then uh, if we're gonna accept the fact that this technology will exist, what controls can we put in place so that it's being used safely and um, and uh, still allowing our young people to have safe and healthy lives?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. And and it's very important to, it keeps going back to that, you know, you, you got to understand the broader picture and the information. Sometimes a lot of people aren't aware of what's happening in the same app that they're using. Uh, the TikTok being a very good example of how it's used in China versus in Australia or in the US or uh, maybe in Russia or Africa. Um, right. I think that's, that's the crucial part. So it always comes back down to Going and understanding and broadening your views viewpoint, knowing more information, taking the time to gather that information and um, looking at it from an empathetic lens. So I, I love what you've said. Um, unfortunately, I would I feel like we can talk about this topic for the whole day, but um, given the fact that this is a podcast recording, I'm going to go towards the end um, questions. And usually, I always like to ask my speakers and guests um, some advice for students and graduates especially within the context of, um, design thinking. Do you have any advice for them or even any resources? You've already named a few. Uh, what's your, what's your advice for them?
0: What's my advice for students? Ah, beautiful. Um, my first thought is to get your hands involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the education system is really good at teaching our brains. It doesn't always teach our hands. It doesn't always teach our hearts. And, uh, the amount of technology that is available that allows you to make amazing things just with your, with your fingers and with your brain, some uh, persistence is is totally incredible. So in that way, it's an incredibly exciting time to be in life. You can create incredibly high resolution things um, in a much shorter amount of time. And so um, I think that that's super exciting. And um, and you just really got to start using your hands. Uh, the other thing that I would say that I think is really important and more a skill level to be developed is your powers of observation. Mm-hmm. Uh, to take a step back from your daily life and look at all the things that you do um, in different ways. Like pay attention to your feet for a day. We I did um, one project where I was fortunate to go into a museum that wanted to uh, design a exhibit for kids. Mm -hmm. And so I walked in and I asked all of the um, gallery designers to walk on their knees for an hour and just navigate the museum and see what they noticed, see the change in scale. And it's incredible, they work at this museum and they see everything through a completely different lens and they observe so much. We are incredibly capable observers really? as humans, but we tend to have a hard time breaking out of our normal day-to-day way of operating. Um, that's a challenge, but the beautiful thing is it's actually quite easy to just wear a different lens for uh, for a minute or an hour or a day. So that would be... Um, a practice that I would encourage any young person to take on, you'll really learn a lot from. And I think that's good
1: advice for even, even the educators and the adults of the world, like even the example you just said, and um, I've come from a similar standpoint and season two of, of of my podcast is actually the student's point of view purely to understand how they, the, the, you know, the challenges that they observe and the things that they go through the problems and how they observe design um, from different angles. I think um, it's, it's really important. And they're, sheer amount of information that they shared was a complete surprise for me other than the obvious ones that I did foresee coming so that's I think really really valuable there Um, what's your um, if you could give some advice for the educators just as a final design thinking tidbit what what would it be
0: um, a, a final tip for the educators. Well, w- just a plug for my organization. We've got a ton of resources um, on the Dschool website that you can really tap into. As an educator, I always just loved resources, like mm-hmm. beautiful resources that are well crafted. The um, the other one I would recommend is we are uh, publishing a series of books. One of them has a ton of different activities that you can pull from. It's called Creative Acts for Curious People. Mm-hmm. And in it, the executive director of the d school, Sarah Stan Greenberg, she connected with all of the instructors across the d school, which is mm-hmm. really, really wide. We mm-hmm. have instructors from Stanford and outside of Stanford who come in. And she took the best learning experience ideas, activities, um little tasks. And she codified it into this beautiful book. So that's one where, hey, if you want to teach in this way, Mm -hmm. but you're not sure where to start, get that book. And it's just got a library of activities that you could adopt into your own instructional practice.
1: Perfect. Perfect. I will definitely, we will link those things in the show notes as well so that people can access them really quickly. And um, lastly, if they want to get in touch with you and learn more, what's the best method?
0: You know, you can just email me. My name's Ariel, A R I E L, and the email address is Ariel at dschool.stanford.edu. I reply to all my emails. So if anybody wants to learn more, I have open office hours. I'm always very happy to connect with educators who are doing good work. So um, reach out to me and I will write you back.
1: Perfect. Perfect. And I think um, hopefully there'll be Australian educators that take you up on that offer. And Last mystery question, this is a bit of a random one, but if um, but I've been thinking about what I should actually ask you, and um, I've landed on one question. It is a little bit related, so it's not completely random. Um, if you could change one thing in schools, what would it be? So I
0: do have an answer for this. I, I would in the US especially, mm-hmm. schools are um, attached to zip codes and they're attached to locations. I would completely disrupt that. so mm-hmm. you you um your child was bused to a school somewhere in the region. You had no say, you had no choice in the matter of what public school your child was sent to. And my hope would be that would change how we think about schools in the u s and that we cared about every single school. We made sure that it had the the necessary resources, the necessary staffing, and that we would um that would lead to just, uh, more effective schools across the board in the United States.
1: Love it. It's a similar situation in Australia. There are um, catchment areas which govern that. So I think that's a very, very cool insight. And, and um, hopefully someone might design a challenge, at least at a conceptual level to explore that. Love it. Perfect. Thank you okay. so much, man. It's been an absolute blast. I honestly feel like we can genuinely talk for hours on this. But um, for the time being, I think it's been an immense value. I've learned a lot from yourself and um, I'm sure the listeners will take so much away from it. So thank you so much for your time.
0: My pleasure, Sean. That's it for today's episode. Now it's time to take action and build on the learnings to get inspired. First up, jump onto rishansanayaka.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes, links and other relevant learning materials from this amazing episode. Next, if you learned something new today, click that subscribe button and set yourself up to receive live notifications on future episodes, as well as more
1: opportunities to learn from our amazing guests, brands, and speakers. Last but not least, it's time to have your say. Join the conversation
0: and share your thoughts and feedback on today's episode with a review, all while joining many others with a five-star rating for Inspiring Design with Rashan Senanayake. Till next time.